Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Here we are. Hello. Welcome. Can you hear me? Oh, I can't hear you. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, there's the volume. Yeah. Opus, Opus, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm I'm, uh, happy to be uh, up in the mornings again. I was stuck on a night schedule, and I don't do well with that. But yeah, it's very hard for me to flip it around. I, I blame the autoimmune disease because my body just doesn't, it's not acrobatic like I was when I was younger or before these, you know, one autoimmune disease leads to another, leads to another. They sort of domino. And next thing you know, you're, you're a broken man plagued by demons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did that to myself. I didn't, I don't even get an autoimmune disease out of it. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have a good excuse like I do, I guess. But, you know, well. we, wor- we work with what we've got, right? Yep, I think so. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> then we get more stuff. Yeah. How's things? I like the shirt. Oh, thanks. That's my Sunday shirt. It's your Sunday shirt. Yeah. Sundays are supposed to be gold, so okay. I tried to find something that was solid gold. And this reminds me of solid gold, so it'll have to do. I like it. Solid gold. Thanks. Yeah. How's things um, going in the Goetic world? 
Well, um, slowly, slowly. There's a <laughs> there's a lot of uh, different information being passed around. Um, I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse of a lot of it. My approach has always been just you know use the drawing spirits into crystals, um, the Trithemian conjure approach. Yeah. Uh, but like Jake Stratton Kent has put together this true grimoire system uh, based on three different versions of it and. That's really popular amongst a lot of people and it actually makes a lot of sense i've been dipping my toes into that a little bit i've got my little scarlet seal and i've started making some packs here and there along the way cool. um yeah, yeah I read, it is I, sorry go ahead. I, I finally read that while i was in the quarantine uh having come back to canada you know mandatory quarantine i i read that and listened to all his interviews i didn't realize he was such a uh interesting sort of level-headed fellow yeah he doesn't seem like it but he is. <laughs> yeah, he really is. He's a very, uh, dare, dare I say, down-to-earth, grounded man, it sounds, a human being. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he comes across as a very, like, edgy, eccentric kind of person online. But in real life, he's just he's just normal. <laughs> yeah. Like the rest of us magicians. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, know. I still wouldn't piss him off, but. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, even those of us who take vows against uh, doing magic on other people still have a few tools up our sleeves if we need them right well i wouldn't know you wouldn't know <laughs> right you're not going you're not the one going around <clears throat> turning people into newts and shit like that absolutely not you're, that would be that would be somebody else only only a major asshole would do something like that to another person yeah yeah, yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't uh yeah perhaps <laughs> yeah but, I, I had a lot of fun with that one though <clears throat> i must say <laughs> Well, you still look great. You still look great. Uh, it's not 3 a.m. like when we last spoke. Oh, my God. That was awful. I mean, that, that, that was a great <laughs> video. I mean, an interview. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But People was, really liked it. I, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, I don't can't, I can't re-listen or watch my own stuff as a general rule. I, uh, it's, it's, a, it's enough to do it. I don't need to relive it. Well, did you send me a link to it? Because I, I mean. It's on I my YouTube as well oh, okay. as on the Spotify and Apple podcasts and all that shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll have to track it down and see if I can get, get some publicity out there for it. I love your altar setup back there. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I just, I'm, I finally got moved into my new place. Um, and it's, uh, large and echoey. <laughs> I need to get some carpets in here, but yeah, I'm starting to get everything put up. I've found a, uh, big old piece of orange cloth that was going to be a, a smoking jacket years ago. Mm. And it seems appropriate for all my Hermes stuff that I've been working on lately. So I set up a little Hermes altar and wow, good to go. Hermes stuff. What are you going to oh, do yeah. with Hermes? <laughs> what am I not going to do with Hermes? So <clears throat> a few weeks, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, uh, back in, I want to say May, June, probably, probably June. I started a devotional practice with Hermes Cavonios. Uh, just to try to get to know him better. Um, and as the uh, somewhat consort, he's only a consort once in, in any of the texts, but sort of a consort to Hecate. Um, my partner was interested in doing Hecate magic and I thought I'd tag along on the hermetic side of things because I've been working on um, you know a lot of hermetic type applications <laughs> here and there uh, across the internet for a few years now. What do you but, mean um, by hermetic applications? Um, well, ways to apply the, the philosophies of hermetics to your daily life, you know, okay. hermetic magic is about conjuring spirits and, and changing the world. And 
um, once you get into the the thurgy of it, you know, you know, just like with the, within the Rosen uh, Rosicrucian paradigm, <laughs> I don't know what to call it, the system of attainment that you guys go through, uh, or you guys that we, I guess, go through. <laughs> I'm, I'm grudgingly a, a Rosicrucian these days, but um, we all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah who wants to do that for free man <laughs> it just it doesn't seem like it's fair wait wait explain Oops. explain that oh do the it fama? for free the fama oh. f- yeah yeah go around and heal the sick and do that for free no, that's I'm, I'm what just... i've been doing since my solar initiation in 2000 yeah i think i'm going to stick with charging 125 an hour myself for <laughs> people don't appreciate it if you give it to them for free well, that's, that's, my that's what always interested me about uh, the Fama and the Rosicrucian tradition, having, you know, healing gratis, right? I always thought it was a very powerful idea that you can, there's no rules on charging for anything else, teaching talismans, magic. And I always have, I struggle with the idea of simony, to say the least. Um, uh-huh. It's a real, it's a real thing I wrestle and think about all the time. Um, wow. But the idea, I thought that of they don't say you can't do anything for uh, for money except healing. They're just like, that's one thing you have to do for free. And I always was very intrigued never, by that. I never read it that way. I thought it was everything that you do as a Rosicrucian was for healing the sick. And for that, you had to do it for free. See, no, I read it. And the way our order sort of practiced it was the idea is like you can you can do all these things now and there's not necessarily that many guidelines, but one, the one guideline that's very strict of the four guidelines is heal gratis. You heal for free. And so, you know, I've, I've told in the past, I would tell Reiki people, I'm like, look, if you, if you take this vow, you then can't do healing for free. And of course that's my interpretation of it. And uh, you know, we all have our own, Again, it's all to, at the end of the day, once, especially once you go through a solar initiation and, and do that, it, it really is between you and your higher self. It's, yeah. it's not between you and other mortals <laughs> anymore. Right? You, you, we answer to God and, and all human beings do at the end of the day, answer to God, right? Right. Whether that's our higher self or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly how that all works with the God thing, because I, I've met, I've met too many gods. So <laughs> I don't think that they're uh I don't think that they are what we think they are, but at the same time, they aren't something to, to sneeze at or write off. But when we talk about um, answering the God at the end of the day, uh, the higher self and all that, I do think that there is a, a higher self that is part of the divine, I guess. I, I used to rail against the idea because I like to think that who I am is pretty pretty okay and pretty cool, but and that there's nothing better than me. <laughs> You know, the, the me I present is the very best me that I can be, <clears throat> but it's not, you know, I, I fail a lot. Uh-huh. So there's got to be something higher that, that wants something more, but I don't know if that's God or not, but if you go through the the headless, right, you know, once you take your face off, you are that God, right? So the removal of egos, it can be mapped onto that, that uh, Stella of Jehu and, and the invocation of the bornless, you know, the headless. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I tried to get into the PGM versions of that, uh, but it just, I always, I always oh, just go should. back to, to, the, to the the Golden Dawn version that I learned in the Inner Order. Well, the Golden Dawn version, that was the one that Regardi had put it together, right? Yeah, I believe that it's drawn, it, it really, though, is quite a logical 
putting together of, of older inner order workings. I mean, that's one thing about that's it's hard to explain um, in the lesser mysteries that is in the greater mysteries, like the rituals to me, while there's operation formulas that we follow specifically, you can really start to see how these things are all one and, and how the operations blend together, how different passages are interused in different mm -hmm. places. And, you know, there's not that much difference between an initiation, talismanic magic, even an evocation, and then a lot of the theurgical rituals, like warmless middle pillars and things that we've invented and put together, especially vault workings. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it really does come become this flowing thing, like, like a martial arts master who just doesn't do a technique anymore. They just flow they they work with space right. they're working yeah. with space and time and movement and they're just flowing yeah but it takes years and years of practice to get to that point too fuck yeah you know? right and that's that's something that i don't like about it <laughs> <laughs> i wish that everything was a little bit easier i think it, it's fair to ask for things to be easier too and um i am i'm gonna i'm gonna lodge some complaints when i get back to uh central you know Put, put my complaints in at the office and yeah ask for a ask for a mod to the next uh, release <laughs> i don't know <clears throat> so much of this stuff is just yeah it, it just is painstaking I, i've always been looking for an easy way out the seven spheres is like supposed to be this uh rapid transit version of creating a hermetic magician and it, it does work that way it, it tears people apart and puts them back together it does the solving coagula in a very um uh, interesting sort of way i think because it, it restructures your life around the the seven planetary principles the energies and virtues the the pieces of that as you come back down to earth and empowers you to become a, a person who can speak the reality into being the way you're supposed to as a as a manifestation of the logos that's been made flesh you know we're supposed to do all that stuff and um it's it's a it's a nice system and all but um uh, it, it's it's still one of those things that takes years and years and years of of work to actually consider yourself any kind of a master of it because it doesn't it doesn't flow at first you know and it never stops having something more to offer you know I, I thought when I started all this I wanted to do um, four elements and then I wanted to do the seven archangels because uh, seven planetary it's only seven angels to deal with and I I like things simple. You know, and then I wanted I, to do the uh, um, the Shin Hafer, the Shin Shim Hamafresh, the Shem angels. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want to do this. <clears throat> excuse me, the seventy two angels of, of of that group, and then I wanted to move on to the Ophanim, the all the angels of the the wheels, <laughs> and then I wanted to move on from there to the um, the Enochian because that's the most complicated system that I could think of, and I figured if I if I progressed gently through these different uh, systems of conjuration and initiation, I, I would understand it a little bit at a time and then I could do the more complicated stuff and move on to the next stuff over and over again. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. But what I found out instead is that the seven that, that I started with are the same seven that follow through with the rest of them. And I can stick with what I'm, what I'm working on. They gave me enough work to take up all the time I would have spent learning how to do the rest of it, you know? Mm. So <laughs> I, I, my great work became just sort of um, manifesting the things that I was learning from that very simple and, and, uh, almost insignificant, you know, only seven, only seven angel system, <laughs> you know, and it, it's just, it's it turns out that it's them plus their legions and they rule over the same things as the 49 angels that rule over the planetary energies and, um, and Enochian and the 49 leaves on the silver book and, and the outer melon, right. You know, the, it's all the same, um, anything that's divisible by seven, <laughs> it's chances are they're going to be, um, Part of that so yeah anyway i, I forgot what, how we ended up on that tangent well <laughs> but, so your oh, book oh. Your, mm, no go i'm sorry yeah it was because of the flow that you were talking about how you become yes. like a kung fu master over time and um yeah and you move from one thing to another but at the same time you, you also end up getting deeper and deeper into the things that you you've started with you know and it becomes something that um like the simple movements become an art form one of one of my friends, uh, Scott Stenwick. Do you, are you familiar with his work? Yeah, I did. I did the uh, the master classes on Guadia and Enochian magic that Jason put out, and I actually host them on my uh, HermeticMysterySchool.com website now, so you can mm -hmm. some people because I recommend them. I think they're not just master classes; they're they're good intros as well. Like, why would I want to spend say thirty hours or twenty hours? teaching someone everything I know about one, either Goetia or Enochian. Of course, I don't know Goetia very well. The Golden Dawn does very little of that until the inner order. And even then we don't focus on it because we have things like vault work and folks more on Shem angels. But um, I did both those things and I was like, well, this is a would be, I'd rather have a student go through those seven days of that master class for only a hundred bucks. And then we can move on from there, you know, especially since right. it shows them different uh, methodologies. I mean, Frater, Ash, and Chassan is, uh, you might say, somewhat different than, say, S. Connolly, just a little mm -hmm. different, right? But some people will find one more appealing than the other. And it, those anything that lays right. a, a broad groundwork from multiple perspectives from which we can then do actual work together that's ideal for me i mean i don't want right. to reinvent the wheel or reteach things that have already been taught that you I can just send someone to that's that's my approach i'm not trying to build it all myself i want to i want to participate in a community that's becoming right. ever more vibrant in the most delightful way 
Yeah, and that's that's exactly the vision I have for that um, Academia Hermetica school. It, it's I want it to be a big tent with open microphones and everybody can just come and talk, you know, so that we can build that community, a clean community that's not um, beholden to lodges or gurus or anything like that, but where we can actually just exchange the information. You know what I mean? That's that's. Uh, I, did you mention that last time? I think so. Probably. It's so similar to what uh, the well, the order I was in has broken into many orders, and that my teacher Ramsey's he's running OGDU or fellowship, right? He's he's trying. He also wants to do something similar, but he's busy, of course, just creating oh, yeah. re online resources for his students and running physical initiations <laughs> still, which is, as you know, just so much work and and right. and often thankless work. But uh, except to a few, <laughs> but um, what you're mentioning, it doesn't sound very dissimilar to that or what I started a couple of years ago with some academics around the world and the mm -hmm. Arcane Research Society, which again right. is, is building a bridge. I'm looking at bridge building between academic scholarship and practical occultists. And right. that was the vision that Nicholas Goodrick Clark, my doctoral mentor, instilled in me. He is something of vision he had for the future. And that the whole association for the study of esotericism, the academic esoteric professional organization is built around this metaphor of the bridge but they mm. didn't think about it in terms of practical occultists that was sort of a step further that i thought was worthwhile i mean there's obviously the famous society which is whispered about of the academics who practice but no one you don't know who those are unless you know right and who oh, knows if i don't no. even know how functional they are you do yeah <laughs> well some of us know them some of us don't yeah it's uh they can't I talk about it too loudly or they'll get fired right no it's not that they're, uh. they're just oh say yeah, more there i don't want to i know too many people who are in it <laughs> so let's just say that there are academic organizations that are active and and meaningful and then there are others that are uh, really good at talking about things so yes, uh, that's yes. well, I'm that's, not, I mean, that's, that's kind of academia put, though. They are, is, they are academia in general is about researching ideas and exchanging information and that's fine. Right. You know, I just, um, you, you'll notice that they aren't, they aren't publishing very much very often. So yeah. Where's yeah. your journal? <laughs> no journal, oh. no work, man. <laughs> you're not, you're not speaking of Claire Fanger's Societis Magica, are you? I don't think so. No, that, cause that's another, that's a, just a strictly academic group. Uh, based around her and her work, and it's purely academic oh, and it's intense. No, this yeah. isn't about any one yeah, person. No. I don't think you're speak. We're speaking of the same society. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, this it's just great. I'm just glad that there's so many people out there doing different things, and and it, like you said, giving everyone a, a microphone and a voice to share ideas and and practices oh, is is really important. I want I want people to see that we're all teaching the same things. You know, yeah. that when you get down to it, the the Wiccans, the Thalamites, the ceremonial magicians, everybody who's studied Agrippa. You know, you, you, <laughs> if if you've studied your Agrippa, you know that you gotta you study gotta the, the Agrippa. You gotta study the Agrippa, <laughs> which I have. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if if you've done that, you you you're gonna end up with the same basic set of information, and it's the same information that they were teaching in the mystery traditions and. Egypt under Yamblichus and Porphyry and well, not Porphyry so much, but Yamblichus was teaching the, the art of Santhamata and the adoption of God forms to retain or return to your, your divine nature 
by practicing, you know, <laughs> you practice as, as Toth and then you, uh, become, you, you find that part of you that Toth represents and, and the overarching, whatever, you know, and you, and you manifest that, um, that's actually, I, I can't believe the devotional work work actually works as well as it does. You know, uh, one of the things um, we were talking about the hermetic altar cloth and everything back there and Hermes this and Hermes that and why why hermetics are so important to me. But um, we, we I started to talk about this devotional practice to Hermes and how everything sort of just sort of unraveled and was reformed around the idea of Hermes. And the same thing happened with um, Jupiter when I was doing the gents for Jupiter. Every time you, you actually start to devote your time and attention to one particular deity, uh, it definitely manifests in every aspect of your life. You know, mm -hmm. Hermes is no different with his five fingers touching everything. Um, yeah. I've learned a lot about uh, a lot, a lot about deceit <laughs> as a result of my work with him, and uh, and what what the nature of the human being and the mind is, and um, how how much of thurgical work is the undoing of lies that we tell ourselves, <laughs> convenient truths that aren't necessarily grounded in fact. You know, yeah. we, we tell ourselves so that we don't hurt our feelings. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's kind of. Um, it's pretty neat the the things that are coming out of it but one of the things that's coming out of it is that um hermes chthonios one of his epithets is lucifer the light bringer and um i've just started getting into the true grimoire stuff and my early initial results of working with lucifer are incredibly similar to my results of working with hermes chthonios um there's a, a certain I don't want to say flavor or smell about them, <laughs> but they're, they're very, uh, uh, similar energies, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, and it, it just seems like, uh, it's very, if you look at the culture in general, there's like a, a huge movement in in the realms of Hecate and the moon. Yeah. And then there's also this huge movement towards, uh, Lucifer and the, um, the, the Goetic, Goetia, uh, approach to the the terrestrial kingdoms that we that we live in and that's all lucifer bales above and ashtroth right so the three worlds that they represent so it's it's just it's just interesting how in the culture right now there's there's this huge push towards one or the other with complementary input from both you know like jake's work is is feeding into a lot of the hecate pgm uh research that's being done and put out there and the PGM stuff is feeding back into the true grimoire traditions and, um, and what's coming out of like London right now, uh, uh Rob Ryder Hill, his, his little chat books on how to use the true grimoire and his, um, uh, I can't remember what he called it, but he's got this, um, uh, a totally terrestrial, almost blasphemous, uh, approach that's sort of loosely influenced at least by, uh, the seven spheres. But it's it's a little bit like that, but it's a little bit more focused on the three worlds of the goetic movement that is currently overtaking the <laughs> the occult spheres by storm. So, yeah. Do you think um, now in in seven spheres, your first book, right? Uh, it doesn't go through the elemental or lesser mystery initiatory process at all. How important do you do you think that's something someone can skip and go straight to your book? Um, yeah, I do, but I don't think that you get out scot-free. 
I think that uh, originally the seven spheres is a green <laughs> because it's part of the green work. Um, I broke it into the, the alchemical phases of the black work, the white work, the green work and the red work. Yeah. And of course I'm, I'm Rufus Opus, the red work, right? Because that was my goal. I was always trying to get to it, you know, still working on it. Mm. But um, yeah, the green phase was uh after you've in the black phase you go through and get rid of all the the junk in the white phase you purify what's left over until it's refined and then the green phase is sort of optional in most uh alchemical things it's like a sub phase of the white phase but after um i i've separated it out because i really like the uh well being a being a taurus i like i like venus and copper and and the the heating of copper when you're when you're making talismans or something like that um, there's this quenching phase where it, it goes through the peacock feather colors. Uh, this is like the peacock phase and it, it adopts all of the colors of the rainbow in, yep. in various hues. And it, that's what the seven spheres is supposed to do. It's supposed to integrate the, the multi-hued, um, energies that form the, uh, that take the ideas from the mind of God and then manifest them into the actual experience things that we have here in the material world, um, that those different, different, uh, types of energies that get applied in different proportions to create existence, you know, before it gets turned over to the four elemental Kings where they put it together into this material world that we actually can see and smell. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> What? Do you ever find yourself like going over the whole cosmology of existence and manifestation, like every time you have a conversation? <laughs> uh, no, I, I I actually avoid that. Um, surprisingly, I'm not very good at avoiding it. <laughs> I, I always feel like I have to go back and start there. But well, yeah, so I, that, anyway, the the I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you. No, off. it's cool. Um, I mean, I struggled a lot with theology and philosophy my whole life, and mm -hmm. so after I went through into five equals six in the Golden Dawn. I decided to go to seminary and I graduated. I trained as an Anglican priest at St. Augustine's and did that whole mm. thing, got to learn Hebrew, Aramaic. I was part of the last class with the old guard teachers before they, they all either retired or died during my time there or after. But that meant I was being taught do? by, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I was too much for them. Um, <laughs> though they really enjoyed having me do classes on uh, Kabbalistic mysticism and stuff, obviously watered down in a way that could be taught to, you know, ecumenical reverence and training, like Catholics, Unitarians, and everything in between, right? Um, mm. But everyone's fascinated by the Kabbalah, because it's so clear that a lot of Christian mysticism did derive from it over mm. the course of the last 2000 years. As the Kabbalah was being developed, Christians were getting interested in it bits and pieces, and then different techniques like the meditative practices from the clouds of unknowing, all were influenced by these same, ultimately, Egyptian and pre-Egyptian roots of mystery traditions from Gnosticism and everything else, Mithraism, you name it. Um, mm -hmm. But struggling with that big picture theology and philosophy as I did resulted in my main opus, um, which was originally titled very popularly uh, Hermeneutics in the Postmodern Epiclesis. Um, which I was, yeah, right. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, which was, you know, sub, sub, subtitled uh, semiotics uh, deconstruction and mysti mystical dialogue. That, that then be, it's a very academic title, right? Because my main interest is, is in semiotic methodology. I'm a big fan of Charles Sanders Peirce, uh, who's a French American philosopher, Ferdinand de Saussure, the Swiss linguist, and then Umberto Eco, who really tied semiotics together with a massive theory that worked. 
Um, yeah, I think I think I've read your book now that or your, your I renamed it the <laughs> Ethics of Understanding God, and that's out on oh, Amazon maybe, there. Maybe I haven't read it. Yeah, and it's but dense, it does sound familiar. And it, it is it does make use of critical theory uh, to an extent because a, a proper I mean uh, how critical theory and and academia the way it's being understood in a popular way in the in the way that. For example, Jordan Peterson is crit critical of it and people like that. That's not accurately how it's, how it is. I mean, a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about Michel Foucault and they really reduce him to a single idea, but that's not, that's not accurate. Um, so I, I use it in a more proper academic context, which is these different models of thought are really tools for understanding thinking in general. I mean, to, the idea that someone is just a post-structuralist is to me very absurd. Post-structuralism naturally came after structuralism. And when I was even studying these things from 2000, 2006 in grad school, um, I, you know, I was, I was sort of like, well, this, these are ideas from the sixties and seventies onward. Um, but are they, are, is this what, where things are at? And I, it was quite clearly said to us, like, no, we're not in a, postmodernist post-structural era academically or intellectually right now we're post post we're post-religious we're post post-structuralism however these ideas haven't even begun to hit the mainstream yet and that's what you'll see over the next 20 years and guess what they were right because those ideas are now talked about mainstream in highly reduced forms and largely misunderstood especially as they're used by radical right or left people to promote mm -hmm. their own ideological agendas as opposed to understanding them as techniques of thought which are heuristic and really just meant to help you get from one rung of the ladder to the next rung and once you've gone up the next rung of the ladder you don't need the rung below you right? You're mm -hmm. moving onward and you're meant to develop your thinking further. So when it comes to cosmologies, yeah. my book really broke things down into two pre-categories or uh, forms of pre-semiosis, which was nature and spirit. Ultimately, if you break things down to what does exist in the, in the real real, what we have is nature as reality, and then something slightly different from nature that's interpenetrated with it that we don't fully understand scientifically, spirit. So you could say there's nature and spirit as pre-semiotic formats. And that is tied very closely and intimately into a thought from, from Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, which is in the idea of natura naturata and natura naturans, which is the idea of nature naturing and nature natured. There's the part of nature that is creating nature and the part of nature that is created by that creation of nature. So is this, is this mm -hmm. subtly nuanced and philosophical? You betcha. But we're trying to explain things that physical sciences, the hard sciences, don't fully grasp yet. I mean, we can't even see dark matter yet. And once we do, I think we'll understand a whole lot more. I mean, I was looking at the, the alien stuff that's coming out now. Um, and I really have never believed in aliens per se. And the more that we are seeing stuff uh, unveiled about them, the more I really do think that they are spirits. Um, oh, yeah. That's yeah, what I've I think. I've thought that for years. That, yeah, that that's what I always interpret thought. It. But yeah. we interpreted it as angels and demons and what we interpret as aliens now, they're the same thing. It's just uh, different, different constructs go into interpreting it, the phenomenon. Yeah. So when I, when I started experimenting with uh, DMT uh, last year and this year, and I've done a, a lot of highly controlled experiments using ritual magic and DMT, um, one thing I've experienced from those spirits is they're the, their vibe is incredibly similar to what I get from the I've gotten from the years of working with the elemental prayers, the gnomes, sylph, salamanders, those kingdoms, even as they sort of interrelate to the the 
watchtowers, the Enochian spirits and angels, it, it, it sort of seems to flow and integrate very well together. And the last final experiment I did on DMT, I think it was number 22 appropriately, I actually had a full vision of, of Ezekiel, like the full vision in a way that I believe I had the real vision. And what I had to do to get to that state in those realms was shocking to me. And what I had to do to communicate with that vision once I had it was, you know, the most profound thing I've experienced in my life. So the, the vision of Ezekiel that you're talking about is of the fiery chariots? chariots? And the cherubim and the face of God mm. speaking directly to my soul. And I had to let go of, I had to stand naked before God and speak my true name and speak what and then ask and then once i was accepted i got to ask my question and the mm -hmm. answer was shocking and powerful and and transformed me um and uh this is an example of some of the things we can do during quarantine <laughs> <laughs> it's it, not um, all bad no i mean total enlightenment <laughs> understanding the mechanical nature of the universe that's not that's not a bad thing <laughs> Well, the, the challenge, the, the, the interesting thing about the hermetic path, like Hermes, we move between worlds. And I love that statement from either, I think it was Jason Louv on Midnight Gospel, who, who said, um, in, in, our, in the Western mysteries, our, our goal is not enlightenment. It, that enlightenment's our starting point. Because mm -hmm. our first goal is to get that solar initiation, is to be able to cross the abyss. It's be able to communicate with our higher self whether you think that's the same or different from your holy guardian angel, we'll leave, right. we'll leave, uh, you know, Aaron Leach to Semantics. figure that out. Who, who cares? Whatever. Who cares? Um, <laughs> who cares? I mean, like, At the end of the day, do you fucking get what you need or not? <laughs> well, see, that's the Torian uh, thing about you that I love so much. Cause I've got, I've got like no earth in my chart and no water pretty much. I have a Venus in Capricorn and I have a Scorpio ascendant, but other than that, I'm all fucking air with a little bit of fire. Um, just <laughs> enough to get me out of bed in the morning. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, when you're, enough to get me in trouble. when you're staring into the face of God, or communicating with these holy spirits, um, whether soberly in ritual or entheogenically, it doesn't really matter. And that's one thing I like about the grimoire tradition is we know that it's not a cut and paste complete system. We know that there are techniques and tools and insights developed by other human beings to get us in touch with these spirits. And like I was recently working a lot with the evocation of Midir from, that W.B. Yeats wrote and the goal was to get in touch with that spirit. Once I did, I created a, through a, for hours while communicating, letting that spirit use me to create a sigil that I could then communicate with him more directly thereafter. And, and things do get simpler yeah. as we go along to, we break things down from these complex rituals to, into the very simple premises that we can use to do and achieve things in this world and in other realms. Right. And if you, you know, what you, you just said on one of the key techniques about magic that I don't think that, I don't think it gets nearly enough um, press, but Yay. the uh, <laughs> the the using magic to learn magic. See, that's you know? one thing that I've gotten from listening to these academics and covering them on my podcast a lot, like going through their essays and commentating on them. Uh, mm. Is is and th thank God for academics because you know we often want to we we us magicians we read a couple things we do some rituals and we're like here is the truth behold it I have found it and then you get a bunch of academics come along and say like well, that's not consistent with the sources that you're actually deriving that truth right. from. So if what you're doing is working for you, amen. But 
what about yeah. this? And I love the and, question, what about this? And what about, what about the fact that you're doing something completely wrong? <laughs> you just made that up. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I get that a lot because I made up a lot of things along well, the way. The, the best <laughs> rituals I, I are it, made up. Well, and, you know, it's based on your understanding at the time, and that's going to change over time. You know, I mean, I, I know a lot more about Neoplatonism than I did when I wrote the Neoplatonic Basics. And it really is the Neoplatonic Basics. It's like the uber basics. And I thought it was this profound understanding that I had at the time. But it just barely, barely scratched the 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 typeface of the of the surface, you know? That's <laughs> heuristics for you. The font name, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So the onion that keeps being, keeps on giving, you know? Yeah. It keeps on giving. So... Yeah, I but, think um, I think a lot of it has to do with, and we don't talk about this too much, and I avoid this word usually famously, it has to do also with our psychic development, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the time, the things that we need, like the like the flashing colors of tatwas, of sigils, of elemental weapons, I always, a lot of people think they look silly, especially the bright colors in the Golden Dawn. People think it's like just very cartoonish. But of course, Stephen Skinner would say that the spirits can't tell the difference between a colorful paper crown and one actually made of gold and gemstones. To them, it's like, oh boy, this guy's wearing a crown. I better listen to him. That's Stephen mm -hmm. Skinner makes a very good point there. Um, but yep. also I see it as it's, it's imprinting in our sphere of sensation. These, these, we're training our astral senses to pick up on these subtler energies in their full vibrant form. And one thing you see in psychedelics is always, if you do enough of them, very bright colors. It's not grayscale mm -hmm. worlds you see. It's brightly colored worlds. And there's, a, there's a, such an intimate relationship between sound, especially using vibratory technique and visualization of these bright colors that like color and sound really are flow as one on a, on a physical level. And right. as we train in those realms using these complex operations like the LBRP, Middle Pillar, Star Ruby, I guess, for OTO folk. Um, and I, I want to talk about that if we can briefly. Sure. Because um, I get a lot of questions about it. I'm like, I don't know. I'm GD. And they're like, you're GD? Oh, shit. You know, I'm like, yeah. But they're like, but you're called Fratter. I'm like, oh, baby, where do we start Jesus. with that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, hi history is one thing we all need to keep studying uh, forever. Perhaps. Perhaps. It doesn't hurt to know a little history, eh? I mean, yeah. otherwise, or, otherwise, your fraud hair comes from. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those those complex rituals. I mean, they start sort of basic with the LBRP, but they get more and more complex with the supreme rituals and the hexagrams and and watchtowers. Mm -hmm. But the it's like it's like this curve I see of of from simplicity to complexity back to simplicity, and then you get that Ouroboros function happening, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, hey, I have a question for you. You're you're yeah. Imperator, right? At one point, I I was that and more. Yeah, right. So I I was I was also Imperator. I don't know if we yeah. talked about this last time or not. I was pretty high at the time. But um, the uh, there was a time that I was I was Imperator of the AA, and I would I would just like to formally announce that this is the former Imperator's summit between the AA and the Golden Dawn. <laughs> I was thinking about well, that. I, I was just in charge of Canada for a while until I, uh, you know, I was I was twenty three. Things fell apart. The center oh, cannot count. hold mere anarchy. I know you're twenty three. I thought it was just a little bit ago. Oh no, no. Well, <laughs> ah, I, see, I, well, I, I like joined. 25. I joined the Golden Dawn when I was fifteen, and I oh, okay. finished the Outer Order in during grade 12 was initiated to portal. Had to do a year and a half in portal because I was so young, and they were wanted to make sure I was 
really ready. And then I had a very severe training. I was trained in, in the harshest, I'm the, I was the harshestly trained person that our order ever saw. And the reason for that was I was being groomed for sure. Um, and then the adepts above me in Canada kept leaving to get married and go have kids or start their own temples like Martin did with Seleski. Um, and uh, I was left holding the reins. And of course, the, the philosophy and the outer order, some of the, some of the members didn't really want to do, teach classes or do work anymore or do even ritual work. They just wanted to be honored and have power. And I was like, that's not how this works. And I was told by the inner order internationally just to expel those people. But I didn't because I was too young to know how to carry that Imperator sword and wield it properly, mm -hmm. right? I, I yeah. should have been, I should have stayed as Preminstrator and, and focused on teachings. And I was already charged with rewriting all the material. And we were full-time temples, seven days a week, 24 hours a day for hundreds mm -hmm. of members. It was a lot of work. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, close to a person who's writing a, a Golden Dawn order and and it seems like rewriting everything is like a major part of your job description. People love doing that. And I, I, I think it's, it's sort of silly um, to an extent, but I don't know more about that oh. next time. Yeah. I don't know. But the, uh, uh, the thing about the Imperator that you said, wielding the sword in an effective way, uh, in a meaningful and effective way. When you were 23, you didn't have the skill sets to do it. Well, when I was 45, I didn't have the skill sets to do it either. You know, and I would just like to complain that the there is no um, there is no guidebook for what an imperator is supposed to do. Nobody tells you what it. It just says the imperator the imperator says that something is done a certain way, and it's that's how it's done. You know, and that's all. That's that's your entire job description is you tell people what to do. You know. Yep. I. I was like, fine, fuck it. I'm going to tell people what to do. And they didn't like it very much. Yeah, that's what I found. They, <laughs> they especially didn't like it coming from a 23-year-old, right? Or 22-year-old, actually. Um, they really didn't like it. And their egos couldn't handle it. Even though I was right. very, they loved and respected me up until that point. But as soon as I was the guy, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they started sending like hate letters to the inner order complaining about me. Of course, the inner order didn't respond to them, just forwarded me the, the hate emails and was like, deal with these people. I mean, if you right. need to just get rid of them and get rid of them, because this is not what the work's about. These people are complaining about having to do ritual work. It's like, if you're, if you don't want to do ritual work, you shouldn't be in a magical order. Right. I mean, totally. they, they're at that point, they're just attached to the community and being called honored and right. dressing up. Well, do you want to fancy. talk about, you said you wanted to talk about the uh, star Ruby. Oh, 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 the star oh. Ruby. That's what it was. Oh, I yeah. So, <laughs> spiritual directee of mine asked about it the other day asked about how much I do it I'm like no I don't do it at all and I only recently saw an AA member just do it while I was in quarantine uh performed it in front of me and I was like oh that's interesting you went clock counterclockwise to me that's uh, antithetical to the way our magic works um do you have thoughts on the star ruby for people who might consider using that ritual in their practice? Do you see it as a, um, a replacement yeah. for the LBRB? Because no. I always saw it as a Crowley maybe just taking the piss to see who he could fool. Um, I, I'm being honest. So he does he does that, but he does it in a very prankster way. Uh, like the merry pranksters were always trying to trick someone into thinking for themselves, you know. Mm. Um, the star ruby, if you actually look at it, is not anything at all like the lesser managing ritual of the pentagram, other than the fact that it has, uh, uh, it is somehow associated with the pentagram rites, but it's not, it's not a pentagram, right? It's not a vanishing ritual. It's 
it's an invocation of power and it's actually a um uh it's more of an attack <laughs> than anything else it's oh. grabbing your power by the balls literally and claiming it and and directing it as as you will hmm. to thrust out it's it's the apo apo pontos caco dominos daimonos daimones yeah apo ponto caco daimones it's it's that part of it that's it's a way away every spirit it's not come to me oh you archangels of the four corners of the world that rule over all things and bring balance and it's not about that it's about it's it's the gtfo of the elemental kingdom interesting that that's and it's not it's not a banishing ritual it's it's uh it's a it sounds um, pretty banishing well i mean it that's the result but it is it's an empowering ritual it's it's to empower the magician and to remind the magician of who they are as as a creative force within the universe right you know um the the whole phallic imagery of of zeus is not about his dick it's about the fact that he is the source of all of creation and the dick wasn't supposed to be the the point it was just supposed to be a symbol but you know people are all like oh a pee pee <laughs> so <laughs> they missed out on the fact that when he goes um oh phallus my strength it's not the phallus that he's touching it's the root chakra it's the the source of, of where we're at in this material world mm. and it's it's um it's touching it's, it's just reminding yourself that you are god you know that within you flows the the powers of deity and what you say goes and it's it's more about having a reset for the magician than it is about changing anything in the world around you in my what's, opinion so what's with the counterclockwise nature of it uh you're taking something apart you're not building something up yeah, removing barriers rather than building walls. Yeah, that's what that's what the hypothesis someone gave me was. You know, it's getting rid of oh. stuff, so going counterclockwise. Have you have you done it before? Like no, no. Okay, so I had to do it for a little while. Mm. I had to write an essay on it. It's a bunch of fucking bullshit, in my opinion. <laughs> it's not. It's not the kind of magician I am. But, the ritual? No, the um the the assigned work and do this you know x number of times and then write an essay about it mm. you know I, I i disagree with that approach to magic but whatever it works for a lot of people so it's just personal preference well, I, i'm I definitely think should, into I think talking about methodologies of education yeah I, I i prefer tactile learning when it comes to magic <laughs> so so percussive uh, maintenance <laughs> So what does that look like if someone's if someone's just starting practicing the LBRP in the middle pillar, for example, getting their basic rituals going, or if they're into Wicca and they're learning how to cast a circle and call down, draw down the moon, what's your sort of tactile methodology? Um, well, for me, it's, it's, here's the system, here's the tools, go do it. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not practice this first. And then when you, when you can say it all just right, then go do it. It's, or incorporate it into the next step. It's not that it's, here's the whole thing. Here's uh, the Trithemian entire conjuration of a spirit from start to end, everything you have to do to manifest a spirit in a crystal within, you know, a certain amount of time. And it's a, a simple approach and you do the whole thing. And it includes all the circles and the banishings and everything that it's supposed to have 
already there already. You know, you say the prayers, you say the words, you do the circle, you consecrate the ground for your defense, you call on the higher powers, you do all the things you're supposed to do. There's no point in practicing the things that are already in the script. You know what I mean? Like if you have to learn the, the whole script anyway to put on the play, why do you uh, why do you make an entire season about one scene? You know what I mean? Mm. Like it, it's like you, within within the time it takes to do to learn your LBRP and your hexagram rights and get them actually right from memory, just just the just the lesser ones, you know, not, yeah. not even yeah. not even the the greater things. It's it just takes years, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it can, if you do it right and years into it, you're still going to be learning it. And it's really easy to stop at the LBRP and the middle pillar. And, and the middle pillar wasn't even a thing before Regardia came along. You know, it's, it's, it's not like this, these are ancient techniques of, of mystical enlightenment and empowerment. They're just, you know, a couple hundred year old uh, methodologies that came out of spiritism and, uh, wishful thinking, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no Springle or whatever her name was, Anna Springle. <laughs> I don't think that she exists. Oh, there was, there was, there and was it was a man. Yeah. Wasn't. There, there's it, Anna Springle was a man. All right. Um, but it was, yeah, but there's it was been a, a new crap. Christopher, not as much as we thought Christopher McIntosh has uh, went back to the Freemasonic archives, looked at the writing and mm -hmm. did an analysis of the German. And so I did a little bit on that. You should, if there's one podcast I, I did that you should check out, listen to that one. I've, I've, um, I've, I'm familiar with the research. Familiar with the research. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I've, it wasn't, I've, it's not, it's not much more than it was. All we know for sure is that Westcott was communicating with a, with a, a German adept. And, the, right. and there was a lot of magical lodges at that time in Germany. I mean, Rudolf Steiner was trained out of them and, was a Mason yep. and, and part of these other groups, though so they they were floating around. It just doesn't mean something grand or multi-dimensional like some right. People and and does. the the guy that they that he was communicating with, he wasn't supported by anybody else. Right? Not it wasn't as he wasn't he wasn't representing the order that he belonged to when he was communicating with Mathers. It wasn't a, a charter that he was authorized to give. Westcott, yeah, right. He wasn't. Yeah, yeah so it's not. The, the whole Golden Dawn system is based on on this I, this mythology that isn't real. You oh, know? Yeah. And it's like it's like and if you go to the AA, the first the very first thing that, that you experience in the AA is the reading of the history lection. And the history lection is the story of how Alistair Crowley and Frater DDS destroyed the Golden Dawn. It's a bunch of shit. I mean, the Golden Dawn is still out there. And I like to tease people in the Golden Dawn and say, oh, Alistair Crowley destroyed you. Oh, oh well, <laughs> you everyone, everyone loves to say that. Yeah, I mean, but no, it, not, it, it went to New Zealand. It. And yeah, the idea that lineage was important was a sad wow. byproduct of the trend that sort of uh, Blavatsky had created with her masters. And so if they right, were going to create a, a competing order, they felt they also needed these masters as well. And th that led to this whole lineage war that's gone on. And it's just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. We've, we've carried it over into the AA lineage things. I think lineage matters um, in, in the AA system, you get to a certain degree. And one of the things you're supposed to do is create a mystery school that is initiatory and that's like your task it's, of your grade that's the task you know? in six equals five in the golden dawn yeah so when when you're doing that you know 
I'm sorry, but you're creating a new system of magic that takes all the pieces and parts that you've learned in this other thing, and it creates something new. And it continues what existed before, but it does it in a new way, right? That's lineage. That's what lineage is all the fuck about. I learned this, I took it, and I built this, and I passed it on. That's what lineage is. And lineage does matter. It does. It gets passed on. It's a continuation of the current it's um, a different branch. It's a different fruit. But that's that's the way the system is designed to work. And so, when people argue about lineages and say, my lineage is valid and therefore yours is not, it's like yeah. you fucking missed the point. If that's the Golden it. Dawn was great, then when it branched out, each branch should be should be bearing fruit. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's not it's not a, a competition between the branches. Hell no. You know, the branches are just there to support the fruit. <laughs> it's, Wonderful. You know, and so lineage does matter, but lineage matters in the way that we're talking about it here. Yeah. Not in, not yeah. in this bastardization of it that's been used to thump yeah, people the, over the, the head. Mine's real and yours is not. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, and, this and is really that's, good for people. That's copyright to issue. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that is. You know, I, I earned this. Now, that, the thing about academia that, that I've noticed is that everybody steals everybody else's work. Uh, Tom Lehrer, the comedian that is saying, the mathematician, you know what I'm talking about? No, tell me. Tom, Tom Lehrer, the the entertainer, he, he used That's to do... That's a comedian I don't know. Oh, he's a mathematician from like oh. the 50s. And he would sing, he would do these little ditties on a piano. Anyway, um, he, he, was, he was really hilarious. But he had songs like Poisoning the Pigeons in the Park and... Uh, <laughs> But he has this one song about how, how to get ahead in mathematics and it's plagiarize, plagiarize, plagiarize. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's basically what people do in academia. You, you do your research and you um, try to scoop everybody else and, and get your, your thing published before everybody else does. And the community isn't that different in academia than it is from uh, a large organizations and the lineage arguments. And, and it can be such a pain in the ass, you know, and I, I, uh, I got really into the whole lineage argument for a long time because I believe the OTO fucked up in, in the way that they picked the AA to align with. They picked some guy from Tennessee who heard voices, basically, and said, oh, okay, you represent the true AA. <laughs> and it's like, it's because he'd met Moda once. And I'm like, fuck, no, this, this isn't real when we have people who are actually initiated into the tradition that goes back to Cephalu under Crowley. Obviously, that's the lineage that's right, and they're the ones that should be associated with the OTO. But in real life, um, everybody who's who's associated with the OTO and that branch of the AA, they're doing the same thing as if, yeah, as if they were part of the official AA. It doesn't matter in practice, and in that regard, there isn't one more valid lineage of AA in the philemic OTO organization than another. Um, even the one that I was fighting for isn't more valid. It's just, it's it, the lineage is the survival of the tradition. That's that's how you know a lineage is, is valid. You look at all the Golden Dawn branches out there, and I love to make fun of them. I really do. Uh, but it's just, it's just for fun. I, you got to respect the, the, the forest of trees that are out there. And I, I know that your order has a... <laughs> Uh, so, oh, well, I, the, the order I was in is long gone. Right. 
Yeah, I don't know. Except for your work, you're still working, right? Well, I'm not in any order. I'm completely no, I'm between orders at the moment. But I'm, I, as far as staying unaffiliated, I don't fall under, under right. vows. Um, we, we call it um, the night night of East and West in the in the uh, OTO. It's it's between the the grades of the hermit and the lovers. No, the yeah. hermit and the lovers and the man of earth triad that's what it is yeah well and if I, it's it's sort of in between like that unaffiliated and not beholden the nun <laughs> i just i noticed that there's no one doing what i'm currently doing and i was like well maybe clearly that's what i'm meant to be doing right because if i if i if i had signed on with frater yeshi when i had the chance um or if i rejoined like ramsey's my old teacher and mentor who's running the fellowship of the golden dawn or the sodalitas rosea crucis tommy westland has a great group going on with amazing archives and etheric links and all that mm -hmm. i would fall under vows because you know i'd be learning new things i'd be learning different methodologies that i, I would not be allowed to share <coughs> uh, i just think there's a lot of people out there right now who are so interested in the things that you and i do and it's hard mm -hmm. for them to get a good bearing on what the right path for them is to learn this stuff if everyone they're talking to is affiliated with an order and is just going to say join us and that's right. all they and can also, say here, here's the here's the lbrp and the middle pillar and you know uh, do you do you I think like the that, idea of pioneering those methodologies and stuff yeah sorry yeah, I, do, you, do you think it's necessary to do all that to be able to do i mean we, we started this this branch of the conversation talking about elemental initiations mm -hmm. versus um planetary initiations and should you do one before the other I know that in the Golden Dawn, the approach was four elements in the seven spheres, and then um, whatever the attainments are after that. Uh, the approach is, is methodol methodolog methodological, and it makes sense. It's rational. But if you look at the grimoire traditions, there's nothing about getting initiated into the elemental kingdoms. The Karsis, the Conjurer, the um person that's the sorcerer whatever you want to call them the person who calls on the spirit might be a priest might not be you never really know you got to guess by the the types of liturgy that are incorporated where whether they were protestants or catholics you know um it, it it's it's a there's nothing in there about going through a lodge initiatory no. system no. and the idea that the the priests were also masons is ridiculous the Masonic <laughs> traditions are not the clerical ecclesiastical uh, traditions. And if there is overlap, you're, it's contrived to, to say this equals that and that's the same as this. And, and you know, there, there's just no, there's no requirements in the grimoires to be initiated, to be baptized. Well, I guess to be baptized in some of them. But, you know, there, there's nothing, there's nothing that says you have to have this mystical power bestowed on you or if you don't know how to do an LBRP you know, the demons aren't going to come. <laughs> it's not how it works. So well, right. I, I, mean, I guess they used it, Catholic it, Psalms instead of LBRP and BRH. They used Incenso Misturate Benedictum and Asperges May Domine, right? Yeah, that was how they did it. And that's still bad. Like you can, Psalms. you can set your circle. I'll set my circle either by doing an LBRP and a BRH, or I'll go around with the Aspergillum and the incense doing Incenso Misturate mm -hmm. and Asperges May either in reverse order, depending on whether I'm doing an exorcistic working or a sort of more uh, charging or initiatory working i'll switch the water first or the fire first 
but also you can just go each quarter and, and wave your thing and say, I purify thee with water. I consecrate thee with fire. You can do that. It all works, yeah. right? Just it's, like sitting in a circle with your fellow Wiccans and visualizing a ball of light grow bigger till it encompasses you all also works. Right. You can dance around with a broomstick. I love dancing around with a broomstick, especially when I'm doing psychedelic work. It's really visceral right. and physical and, you know, I'll sing and chant and, do yeah. crazy stuff and so, by the end i see this vortex of power and the spirits want to come into my little copper scrying bowl and that's right when I, and you want to talk to them and you want to do some magic with them then we get you going to create the yeah. world right yeah and that's 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 what we do the magic for is to create the world yeah we don't do it so that we can argue about the lbrp versus the asparagus mayhem you know it, no. it, we can if we no. want to but that's where people get stuck. It's like, this is real and that's not, and this is true and that's not, and I do it this way and I have to feel good about myself by making you feel bad about not doing it my way. You know, and fuck off. These are, this is, that. <laughs> it really is beginner talk, right? And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, it's like, no, it's, once you've done it, this stuff a certain amount, once you do this stuff for so many years, right. those arguments drop away. They fall like scales from your eyes because you realize that's not where the work is. Yeah, like and just, that's why that's why in seven spheres I throw people right into the seven spheres. It's not it's not about all the other because you didn't nobody nobody put everybody through the four elements before they did the seven spheres before. Nobody did that. Right. So I think I mean, what's Obermellon you could argue it does that, but it's it's it stops there then, you know. So you get like to the, the Abermellon you would consider a solar initiation, right? Um, I would have probably a couple of years ago. I don't in your, know in I your seven would. spheres book, you, you sort of talk about it that way. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely, I definitely thought it was at the time. I'm still, I don't know. It, it's, I, I think my understanding of what a solar initiation was at the time was very simplified, uh, very, um, cartoonish compared to what a solar initiation is. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know that I would, I would equate them quite the same way as I did at the time. But, well, it's a term we yeah. get from Rudolf Steiner, I believe, in fact. Is it? Yeah. I didn't yeah. even know that. I thought yeah. it was just because it was an initiation into the sphere of the sun, so we call yeah. it solar. So when it comes <laughs> to the elemental initiations of the lesser mysteries, it, which we have in the Golden Dawn system, to lead you up to the veil of Paroquet and the portal grade into the vault of the Adepti uh -huh. and the solar initiation, in my opinion, that whole system is a replacement for the Abramelin. And I can see Aaron Leach rolling his eyes right now as I say right. that in the astral plane. But that's okay because here's here's it's a slightly slightly complex thought, but I'm sure everyone can handle it. So there's a lot of debate saying like the higher self, you know, the the, the greater Nashama, the Eric Anpin, the greater face of the tree of life, the the true mm -hmm. self is yeah is different from the Holy Garden Angel, which is a distinct entity, which is summoned by doing the Abramelin, or in some people's opinion can be replaced by Libra Samic in the OTO or AA, and then re mm -hmm. or replaced in the Golden Dawn by doing the, the invocation of the higher genius, which is of course what, what we do. But in my experience, the Golden Dawn tradition is essentially that whole purpose is to put you in touch with your Holy Guardian Angel through that 5-6 right. initiation. And that's what the portal in 5-6 does achieve. So that's why the purification process throughout the grades is a great way over, it, you're not doing it over 18 months, you're doing it over years, mm -hmm. uh, preparing yourself for that contact. And then that's when the magic begins. Once you have that, that adeptus solar current moving through you, that's when you can then dive into Goetia or Enochian magic or whatever else you want. And the, valid, the, the advantage of doing it in a Golden Dawn system 
through those elemental grades, whether you do it in a, in a, in a traditional order that only has the basic rituals and does it rather quickly, like, like Scarborough's uh, Ordo Stella Matutina is very traditionalist. Frater Yeshis is somewhat traditionalist. Um, some of the orders are just take a bunch of in order stuff and throw it in the grades. I was talking to a seven equals four trained by Frater Yeshi, and he thinks that the Tatwa scrying should be introduced in Neophyte. And I was like, tell me why. And he, we talked for hours. And at the end, I was like, wow, I really agree with you on that, actually. He's like, yeah, mm -hmm. all the adept work is scrying, essentially. And so yeah, we should get people going into that much earlier on. So I'm have, advising people that I work with to start with basic path working and scrying earlier on. Um, but again, because anything that gets you doing this work more on a daily basis from the get-go, that's a good thing, right? If you're excited yeah. and on fire to get up and not just do 20 minutes of ritual work that day, but say two or three hours, then do that. That's what's good. Whatever gets that sulfurous energy going and your passion to like, you know, do the work, inflame thyself with prayer. Exactly. That's the, that's the thing I'm stretching right now. Cause I'm yeah. tired, but <laughs> yeah, you're but showing yeah, off I mean, your that... body to the girls on YouTube. You're single hey, now, right? Ladies. Oh, oh, I'm all single-ish. Single-ish. Really. You know, serial monogamists, uh, we, we tend to get ourselves right back into another relationship as soon as possible. So, well, congratulations. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Don't know if I'm too broken for for putting someone else through another <laughs> Rufus Opus experience, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. I'm not showing off my body. Um, so you know, and here's the, here's the terminological issue I see with the Holy Guardian Angel these days is if if you want to say that the Golden Dawn tradition is not designed to put you in touch with your Holy Guardian Angel, but to put you in touch with your higher self or true self, and that the Holy Guardian Angel is something different. Well, if you say that, you can be like, okay, but the word, the phrase Holy Garden Angel is used in the Golden Dawn to refer to your higher self in many mm -hmm. ways. Is that right, something that that's... is separate or uh, separate and distinct from you or part of you? Well, a, at a certain point on the tree, if we look at that cosmology, that differentials sense doesn't really make a difference. It really doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the I and thou, right? That's right. The, sort of the, the mysteries of Bina and Hakma and the three supernals is that that differentiation it doesn't become one it doesn't become separate it's just like you know crowley spoke quite well of this actually as every, everyone listening knows what i'm talking about i'm sure but yeah so if you if you say well the holy garden angel something else it's like fine but in the golden dawn that term is used this way mm -hmm. so you can right. say that they're 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 mistaken or you can just say well they're defining the term differently you can say that you can own that the abermelon if the abermelon is a ritual designed to put you in touch with a specific being and that being is called this and there's no other ritual that can put you in touch with that being fine i have no problem with saying that this ritual this series of workings puts you in touch with a specific entity that can't be contacted in any other way that's fine you can say that right and mm -hmm. you can't really debate it unless you then do the ritual in that way um but as far as the broader terminological sense is concerned I mean, we use words, words are defined by how we use them. And right. so if you're using a word in a certain way, you're not wrong. You're just using it in that way. Right. It's, it's semantics, yeah, but they matter. It, they do some, yeah, it, they matter when they do. And then they don't, when they don't, I think. That's you know, truly like, said like an adept. I, <laughs> right. The, the, what makes you an adept is knowing when it matters and when it doesn't. <laughs> yes. So that's really well said.
Well, I think I got it from like John Wayne or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably Will Rogers. He was a little more wise, but well, yeah, it's like it's know. like that line in uh that Thor says in the Marvel movies when someone's like, "That's just uh, the cap, uh, the guard, you know, uh, Captain the Guardian of the Galaxy dude is like, um, that's a made up word." And Thor's like, "All words are made up." Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm gonna have to uh, cut things short. It's been about an hour now. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I could talk to you all day long. But that's I do have very flattering. Do, so, well, but, we I mean, have this to... is this is the hard part, you know, is finding time in COVID to just hang out and talk about magic. That was the best part about being a part of the OTO is we got to hang out and talk about magic at the lodge after and before events. It was, it was wonderful, you know. And that that I think is the only part about lodge magic that I'm ever going to miss is that camaraderie of the of the that when when people aren't fighting each other <laughs> when they can just sit around and talk like this you know this is this is really convenient this I is a treat it. well we we i love that we we've done these two little bits now and we, we obviously will have to do a part three yep well, i'll have you over to my place next time <laughs> <laughs> i'll uh, i'll get on a plane and uh i'll i'll mail myself in a box I met on my YouTube channel, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really hope we get to physically get together with other people again. I mean, I, I think I think our governments are trying to kill all of us, but that's another another subject that I'm glad yeah. that we don't talk about that stuff. It's great to be able to talk to another adept from other traditions and other experience. I really wanted to get into Gawashik stuff and your new book. Oh, um, but we'll do that next time. Yeah, um, that's. <laughs> all right, man. That's that. That will be very exciting. Thanks so much, and uh, I definitely am pimping your new book to people. They can get it online, a limited signed or numbered copy for for fifty bucks, right? It's not. It's not signed, but it's numbered. Oh, it's numbered. Even better. Yes. Even better. <laughs> one. Yeah. You know, I got I got a numbered copy of seven seven seven. Oh, seven seven seven. I wish it was seven. <laughs> the seven spheres, and uh, it was like number six hundred and eighty nine. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I didn't even get number one. <laughs> and I was, I called my publisher. I'm like, Frank, come on, man. You didn't send me number one. He goes, no, number one's mine. I said, where are the other 500? He said, I sold them. Do you <laughs> recommend working with that publisher? Oh yeah. I love Frank, but yeah? he's, he's not for everyone. Yeah. You know, you have to have a certain, you have to be a certain kind of person to uh, really get the vibe that Frank brings to the table. Hmm. You know, he's, um, he, he, he's just one of those people that, that just do what they say, you know, and, and mean what they say and do it. And he's got nothing. I mean, he, he, he is kind of Machiavellian, you know, and he, you know, he's smart and, and he's always, always aware of opportunities, but he's, um, he's very down to earth. We've never, we've never signed a contract. We've never had any, um, formal legal, interactions you know because i don't i don't give a shit i want i want my books published i'm not doing this for the money <laughs> you know and if he wants to screw me out of the money and a thousand books go out in the world great that's you know free advertising i don't it didn't cost me anything but time so I, I don't mind doing that but um he has always played square with me he's always been fair i've uh he bumped me into the next tax bracket a couple times without without me knowing what was going on and i had to pay a ton of taxes but totally worth it much less than i made on the book so yeah i've got no complaints <laughs> um yeah for all you thinking you're gonna get rich teaching occultism yeah this is the only this is the only time i've ever gotten a five-figure check from anybody so
Wow. Well, good yep. for you. Many blessings, Rufus. All right. Very good to see you. And we'll, uh, we'll do part three in the future. Everyone go buy his book. Yes, definitely. Let's, uh, let's make him pay a lot of taxes. I know the government's going to need it. Yeah. We've got to get those body bags somehow. <laughs> Brother, conks on packs. Conks on packs. Ciao. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. That's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. Hermetic Science Enterprises.co.uk